Welcome everybody to the Spoil Me Podcast. I'm your host, Khalif Adams. This is episode 123 of our show. I am joined this week and every week with my man, my mellow, the smooth kind of fellow. He is not here, so we're going to skip him. Uh, we're going to go to my <laughs> brother from another mother, Sharif Jackson of SharifJackson.com. How are you, sir? Man, why can't I ever be mellow or a fellow or yellow or the, the, any kind of elo? Like, I kind of want to, I want some elos in my life, man. You're sophisticated, so I'm going to call you a cello. Okay, cello. Okay. I've never played any <laughs> or, instrument or, in my life, but I will I will take the cello and run with it. Or JJ from Good Times. you like, cello. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> How are you doing, sir? How are you doing, Sharif Jackson? How are you? I'm, I'm doing all right, man. You know, uh, just... Uh, I'm trying to trying to insert myself into virtual reality, but uh, in introducing more, more problems in actual reality that's preventing me from uh, removing myself from this world uh, into the virtual <laughs> one. But uh, more. but all will be fixed, and like all 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 will be remedied soon. Uh, more Oculus, more problems. That's that's the new the new Diddy song. Yeah, exactly. I I I feel like back in the day when like rappers in New York when they used to call each other Oc, like they were talking about the Oculus, like it was all <laughs> it was all predicted. So it wasn't Oculus; it was just Oculus. Nope. Nope. <laughs> ah, 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 Oculus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's like four people who know that song. I think I think two of us are in this podcast right now. <laughs> It's literally like no one else nah, knows I, about Akinelli. Nah, Akinelli had bars, man. That, that that dude had bars. Like most people know him from the "Put It in Your Mouth" stuff, but but he he he's he has some lyrics. He has some lyrics. Oh man, yeah, he did have some joints. It, it made me think. I, I finally learned out about learned about designer today. Oh. designer and and panda. Yes, and I and I think I tweeted I tweeted at the person who sent it to me. They were like, "Hey, have you heard about this stuff?" And I was like, "Let me see it." So I looked at it, and I said, "Thank you for sharing that with me and for letting me know I'm too old for this shit." Yeah, because I, it... <laughs> I, I mean, I was like, "If I need, go ahead." Even people I know that enjoy that song, they don't know what it says. Like they can't, like they can't say what that whatever the six words that he repeats over and over are. Uh, Reef, I have I listened to the whole song and have no <laughs> idea what the fuck he said in that whole in that whole video. I was like, if I need a, a decoder ring, a stenographer, and a speech therapist to understand your, your your song, then I'm too old for this shit. Yeah, I said I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, yeah, I I felt the same way. I was watching part of the BET Awards where uh, Future was uh, performing. And I was mm-hmm. like, man, this music has really passed me by, yo. <laughs> like, like I'm not, say, not. I'm not saying it's bad. I, I mean, I know a lot of people that can rock with it and that's cool. But I'm like, man, I, I have clearly crossed the crossed the barrier into uh, oh, the non demographic for uh, the hot new joints. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't handle it. I, I'm waiting to see if out in Portland, Panda catches on. I want to see, I want to see young white children walking down the street singing Panda songs. Cause it'll just sound like it'll sound like people just muttering to themselves, <laughs> and that's gonna be that's gonna be the dopest of trying to figure out what the hell is going on with people trying to figure that out. I but mean, anyway, I mean, you might have already heard several Panda remixes. You just didn't realize it. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> Panda is all around you all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like there's all kind of panhandling remixes of uh, Panda. Oh, oh my god! 
but oh, I, I digress on Panda. I'll figure it out. I'll try to get out of my old old man cage and, and figure it out. Um, but yeah, I had a good week. Uh, it was busy on my end. Work is always crazy. We have our first uh, like Friday off. They're doing like summer Fridays. So we get like the, the Friday mm. off, which is cool. Uh, and it was dope to be able to like wake up today and be like, oh, snap, I don't have to go to work the next day. That's cool. I can just stay home and chill. So that's great. Now, now, do they still give you like 40 hours worth of work that they expect you to pack in four days? No, I mean, they, I mean, the, the work that we do on the support side is like you get what you get anyway. So okay. it's like IT in that way where if you got support cases, if you didn't get any cases that day, then you didn't get anything. But um, there that's will cool. be a day that I'm basically working at home do that stuff and that's totally fine i love working from home uh, people who are like no i hate working from home I'm like i would love to stay at home and work I that joint would be dope 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 so everybody there are a couple of folks who i am super super excited to have on our show so one of those folks we had on last week this gentleman is one of the hats that i've been dying to have on our show forever because he makes some of the games that i love the most on this planet uh, coming to us from Supergiant Games, we have writer and designer Greg Kasavin. How are you, Greg? How's everything going? Doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, man. So I I have been a huge fan of your work for a very long time, back uh, when you were a writer for GameSpot. Thank uh, you. And, do, and doing amazing stuff as a, as a writer and then EIC. Um, and then you moved over to G- Supergiant Games. Uh, how long ago was that at this point? Man, I uh, I got into game development almost ten years ago now. Uh, the time sure flies, yeah. Because <laughs> wow. I I was at Gamespot for um for just over ten years. Uh, so yeah, I'm coming up on my kind of like uh, I'm about to lap my uh, <laughs> wow. my game writing stuff, which which really it doesn't feel that way uh, at all. But yeah, that's how it goes. Oh my goodness, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, like you said, time flies, where I, it seems like just yesterday you were making your move out of, out of the writing business on the journalism side and then making your way over to the, to the game designer and, and kind of the quote-unquote evil side, <laughs> the, yeah, right. as they call it. Um, you know, Bastion was a huge success. Uh, Transistor was a huge success. And now you have a new game coming out that I got a chance to, to play around with a little bit at E3 called Pyre. Um, if you want to let the folks know exactly what Pyre is and what, what kind of is going on with, with your newest uh, adventure. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a departure for us as, as you played. We, we consider it a party-based role-playing game. Uh, and it's a game where you lead a band of exiles to freedom through this ancient series of competitions uh, set in this kind of a mystical purgatory type setting. So our, our previous games have been uh, action RPGs kind of focused on the stories of uh, very specific characters. There are these kind of uh, solitary feeling journeys in Bastion and Transistor, and we wanted to do something uh, with more of a sense of uh, kind of friendship between yourself and these companions that you get to travel with along the way. Um, and uh, just wanting to do like a multi-character game like that was where a lot of the ideas for Pyre uh, came from. Cool. So, so, um, are those ideas of like, of like, sort of like the uh, party base and like the multiplayer stuff? Is that something that was around during the Bastion and transition days and the transistor days that you really couldn't fit into those games, or is this kind of like a newer, like a newer kind of um, vision that I that I, you guys have that this game fits better? 
Yeah, it's it's more the newer thing. We we don't really tend to leave much um, on the cutting room floor that has like a lot of that we think a lot of value. Like anything that we discard uh, as we make one of our games, it's just kind of like, well, that didn't that didn't end up making sense anyway. Um, and and the way we make our we make our games like serially, we definitely don't have like we don't have like a big queue of ideas that we want to make in the future. We just kind of like figure out what we want to do once we have the time uh, to be able to work on it and and try in general not to try and count our chickens before they hatch because <laughs> we have to put everything we've got uh into what we're working on at any given time and there there's being a small studio there's just no real point in uh being too wistful about the future when um your future is like 99.9 dependent on what you're doing like right now rather than right what you're kind of longing for. So yeah, it's almost like taboo for us to even think about what we want to do next um, mm. while we're still working on a given game. So we only started thinking about Pyre. Uh, it was like in July uh, of 2014. It was a few months after Transistor came out, which was uh, back in May of that year. Um, uh, but I think all of our games are like a response to our previous games in some ways. It's just kind of like we get so immersed in what we're doing um, that after having made this this game with a, a fairly um, some fairly kind of somber overtones in Transistor and yeah, this solitary feeling game. Um, we wanted to make something where you have like more characters just kind of hanging hanging out with each other and having a good time, uh, which were things. Uh, n- not that uh, that's overtly the case in Pyre, but um, hopefully it'll feel that way from time to time. Yeah, I kind of love the fact that you that your crew doesn't really go back to the well in the same ways. Like the like, I don't expect Super Giant Games at this point, seeing the track record and everything, to make a sequel to the ones that you've made prior. It feels like every game once you finish it is a very complete thought, and that feels really nice. Uh, it feels like you guys have kind of figured out your groove in that way. Does it feel like you've kind of gotten to the point where you kind of know? how you want to kind of proceed when it comes to kind of going down the track that you want to go? Well, I think, I think it's that thing where we just try to, um, we, since we don't know what we're going to do next, um, by definition, I think we also, um, on the flip side of that, we value just kind of, uh, coming up with something that seems surprising to us for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. as we think, we think that if we do stuff that is like, pushes, uh, pushes us out of our comfort zone creatively, then, if it's kind of hard for us in that way to figure out and to kind of um, really pull together ideas that are exciting to us, but we don't know initially exactly how they're all going to fit. We think that that'll translate into something that is more interesting for players as well. Like I think, I think surprise has been like one of the, one of the big secret weapons of our games Um, kind of like it's, it's not something that people often cite when they, People who've enjoyed our previous games, they'll they'll talk about you know the artwork and the music and the stories and all kinds of things like that, and and that's that's all <laughs> that's all music to my ears, uh, believe me. Uh, but but I think I think uh, part of it is that uh, these games kind of came out of left field for for people, and even though we build Bastion as an action RPG, you know if you went in expecting Diablo, it was really different from like a Diablo style game, even mm-hmm. though originally that was like one of our big influences. We love Diablo, so we wanted to make something like it, but we're like, wait a minute, we're going to make a really, really bad version of Diablo unless we <laughs> figure out like all the ways that this is going to be different from that and just try to find a reason for our games to even like exist, you know, and, instead of being like just inferior versions of games that are already out there. 
So yeah, that that's kind of like a our, our our games are we don't like start with a design or anything. Our games we we build them very kind of organically, just uh, starting with pretty touchy feely stuff when it comes to the kind of experience we want to make and uh, the tone of the tone that we want to hit. Um, and then we start building stuff that we think might be in service of that. And that takes us like a really that's always taken us at least like a year to even begin to find like what kind of the center of the thing even is before it really starts to take shape and feel like something that's cohesive at all. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. You mentioned kind of like the inspiration is sort of starting with the touchy feely stuff because obviously, as you said, like the art, the music and all that stuff are sort of the big standouts that, that, that a lot of people latch on to even before they play the game because they see this awesome looking game. Um, And, I was always wondering if that stuff kind of drives a process as well, or is it more like uh, let's focus on like the skeleton and the story and like that stuff first, and then sort of gets like prettied up on the on the end. Yeah, that uh, that's a good. Um, th- there's like always the interesting kind of chicken and egg questions when it comes to games. Like, what is it? What does it start with? Um, and and for us, there there is um, you know apart from the kind of what I call the touchy feely stuff. We're very much, um, yeah, we're very much gameplay driven. Actually, we start with the gameplay prototyping just straight up, um, and huh. and everything else. Uh, the these aspects that uh, really come to define aspect define our games overall, like um, like the stories and what have you. They're they're very much they they have to live in in service of of the gameplay itself. So mm-hmm. it's never like. We have this wonderful idea for a story. What's the gameplay we can shoehorn onto right. that? It's it's very. If anything, if anything, it's closer to the other way around. Like, what's a story mm-hmm. that's going to work within the parameters of the kind of gameplay uh, that that it looks like we're going to create? Um, at, at the same time, we're we're a small team, and that means we could do things like very uh, collaboratively, and and these elements definitely all feed off of each other. Like, once we have those initial ideas about the the tone and and the kind of experience we want to make, uh, everybody kind of starts doing their thing at the same time. So Gen mm-hmm. Z, our art director, will start creating artwork, and Darren, uh, 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 Darren Korb, our audio director, will start creating music, and we'll start prototyping gameplay and jotting down story ideas and all that stuff. We uh, try to kind of we we start mashing it all up like pretty early on, and try to see what fits and what sticks, and and invariably uh, those different components. Uh, start influencing other aspects and so it's this very kind of like organic process that way where I think we're constantly taking inspiration from what um, uh, other members of the team are, are doing with the game at any given time. Yeah, it feels always like when whenever I play a super giant game that it is such a mashup of so many different kind of touch points that kind of all wrap themselves around a singular idea. And it feels like when you finally have gotten to the kind of meat of what the, the systems are that you're trying to implement, whether it be um, kind of small things like the narrator in Bastion was a thing that people didn't really see and, and, and have come across in a way that it did in that game. And Transistor with the kind of leveling up system and kind of building upon the, the, the weapons and ideas that you tried to build on there that added to the gameplay and then also led to its uh, replayability was a thing that was really kind of cool. Pyre, when I got a chance to play it, it felt so much different than those other two games because at first I was like, well, I don't know exactly where this is going to go, but the second level that I played 
that added some more elements to it and that you built upon the kind of tutorial part definitely gave me the ability to kind of see where things are moving towards a process and see where the kind of foundation that was going to be placed upon that game for the future stuff that you're going to do with it is going to be really awesome. I, I kind of referenced the American gladiators when, yeah. when I, when I, after I finished playing <laughs> it. And, it and it felt like, uh, cause you're, you're moving around, you're moving around the play surface. Uh, and then there's sometimes there's uh, these obstacles in the way, um, you're trying to get your team from one side to the other by passing the ball or kind of moving it kind of almost, almost kind of 10 yard fight style, a little bit kind of moving yourself across the map. Um, and it felt like that, uh, American gladiators event where you had to kind of run around the pylons and throw the ball into like the garbage can thing. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like that, but it felt like that plus this beautiful art style on top of it. And this awesome story kind of going there as well. How, when you when you see these things kind of come to fruition and kind of come together in this really cool way, what, what are the things that you're trying to kind of evoke both with the story of Pyre and also kind of with the gameplay elements that, that you've already kind of implemented? Yeah, so like one of the things we've had a lot of fun with uh, with the game is just uh, yeah putting it out there for people to play and, and letting people discover uh, some of these aspects for themselves where they're like, uh, you know, a lot... A lot we've had a number of people play it now uh since we first showed it at PAX and so on and it's it's been fun to see people go like wait a minute this is this is kind of like a sport <laughs> this is like and and people people have name checked so many different sports that this game has reminded them of from the, you know you mentioned American Gladiators which I which isn't the first time I've heard that amazingly uh but I've heard like uh you know rugby and soccer and basketball and um, and all all kinds of different stuff, and and you know game references like NBA Jam and NFL Blitz and that kind of stuff. Those, those kind mm-hmm. of um, those like classic action games that were sports games from that era uh, mm-hmm. definitely uh, are are games that we have really enjoyed, and like we're much more interested in that kind of mode of play than say like a modern you know hardcore like Madden or FIFA or sure. something like that, right? But the the part the part where the game kind of turned into this pitched competition between teams that was that was really no accident that was like a natural direction for us to go in when we were thinking about this uh setting where these characters have to depend on one another in order to succeed and sometimes they win and sometimes they don't and the game moves on anyway and we really liked that aspect that appealed to us a lot as we were uh, coming up with the ideas and that was like um part of the part of the intrigue and having the setting of like a mystical competition where the rules are kind of weird and arbitrary at first, but they become second nature. It's like, wait a minute, that's a little bit like sports. Like what the hell is a first down? <laughs> like, what's a first down? You just kind of, it just becomes second nature after a while. But the first time you learn about it, you're like, Oh, okay. And you just rules are there, you know, you just accept them because that's what they are. Um, and, and even playing with that aspect, right. Where like, um, when when the stakes are very high for these characters, when it's their very freedom that's on the line, what would they do to succeed? Would all of them uh, go about this competition in the most honorable fashion, or would some of them maybe try some underhanded stuff? And all those kind of ideas were just really excited, exciting for us to explore, um, thinking about this purgatory setting where, you know, these characters have all been exiled. They're almost like uh, prison inmates or something like that. Hmm. And some of them are in exile probably very rightfully you, you know maybe some of them have done some really bad things to deserve their exile maybe some of them you know not so much um and wh- where did they come from all, all so all these kind of questions were 
were really intriguing to us. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, and we wanted to explore them in the story and in the gameplay, uh, putting the characters in these matches where they just really had to rely on one another in order to succeed. And that felt very core to kind of the thematic substance that we wanted to explore with this game. I have a feeling now that when I do find whoever the underhanded character is that I will attach the name Draymond Green to him. <laughs> Look, just just put some gladiators in this game. Put Draymond Green, Gemini, Turbo, Nitro. <laughs> yeah, Gem- Oh, man. Now awesome. you're taking me back. It, it I forgot be, about Gemini. It, it would be, oh, Gem- Gemini was my boy, man. Um, <laughs> partly because I am a Gemini, but listen. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so, so I've read quite a bit about sort of like the dialogue system in the game um and since you mentioned sort of like the comparison to it being like a sport um you know one thing that i've always looked for in sort of you know either sport or action sport games is sort of incorporating that dialogue that we all know is like a part of of like sport so like can you talk a little bit about like the dialogue and the conversations and like how that can affect you know like the gameplay yeah um so so there's the, the game is structured around um you you early on you you find this group of characters and they have this this wagon that can traverse uh, this purgatory and basically uh, your character has a rather uh, unique ability in this world which is simply to be able to read uh, it, literacy is something that is pretty rare uh, among the characters here so uh, you find a book with some important uh, information and using this book you're able to um, you're able to figure out where to go. Um, in part by searching the stars. So through the stars, you could see where you have to go next, um, and you have to get there in a certain amount of time. Um, So you you traverse this kind of overworld, um, deciding where to go and how to spend your time. It's kind of structured day by day. So you choose where to go, and then with the remainder of the day, you choose how to spend your time. You could have different interactions with the different characters you meet or at the various places you could go. Um, They're often just kind of... Uh, quick and expressive interactions, getting to know a certain character better or, you know, having a brief conversation with them and stuff like that. But over the course of many days, it'll, you know, hopefully start to take on almost this kind of road trip uh, type of vibe. So you're trying to get to the next uh, location where one of these rituals is going to unfold. Then once you finally get there, the ritual itself unfolds and that's where kind of the action-packed mode of play uh, happens. So we we hope that um, it's a format where you can really start to get closer to these characters and get really invested in their stories. And then when you get to the actual competitions, having these decisions about, you know, who's going to, who's going to go in, uh, Mm -hmm. who's, who's going to kind of sit this one out and how will they interact with one another? Hopefully all that stuff takes on, you know, additional, it, it just becomes even more meaningful beyond how it inherently feels just to go through one of these, one of these encounters. Yeah, it was it was cool when uh, and I, we talked about this right after I finished playing and I was like, there was a part in this conversation that I had where I, where one of the characters basically confronted me and said, you know, are you afraid of me? Oh, and wow. my, one of the yeah, and one of the uh, one of the options was to say, you know, you, you basically say, well, yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm afraid of you. Yeah. And, and, and I didn't know it then. But the next round where I was actually back in t- into the match that uh, that conversation affected our interactions or the gameplay between the characters themselves so you know the 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 kind of trees that you would kind of see in that you, we talked about how you know if you say something uh, and their kind of morale goes down yeah the respawning of that character into the match may be delayed by some or oh, wow. you can 
which was super cool. This it was cool. super cool. Yeah. Can you that, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the, so in in that uh, particular example, so the character, you know, as a, as in many role playing games, these characters have certain attributes, and one of the attributes in this game is called hope, uh, and hope determines, uh, like like gameplay wise, during one of these encounters, uh, characters could get banished. They essentially get like taken out, like knocked out of existence temporarily, but then they come back after some some number of seconds. And the higher their hope, the sooner they come back. Um, and you can, their, their hope is kind of integral to their disposition. So the character that you're referring to is a, uh, a big, uh, horned woman called Jodariel, and she's been in exile for more than a decade. She's been down there a long time and doesn't have any real hope of, uh, of ever getting out of there. So her, her starting hope is quite low. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, through these interactions you can have with her. Uh, it can kind of uh, at least temporarily drop even lower. Like she's like, oh man, you know, and it, it's the sort of moment where we want to have these kind of moments where you start to realize that your character, even though you're you're new to this group, you start to realize that your words can, can affect the people around you. And they uh, ha- have these moments where you realize that they, they you know, they actually, w- what you say matters to these characters, um, w- however they may come across to you initially and have that, again, just have that kind of, bonding experience where you where you realize that they in short respect you um because of who you are because of the value that you add to this group and so on and you you develop this kind of relationship with them that way and just like just like in real life you know you start to consider how you speak, how you interact with the different people around you. And some people, you know, you can feel like you're walking on eggshells when, <laughs> when you talk and other people, you could talk really naturally to them and they're not, they're not going to take anything you say the wrong way. Um, and we, uh, we want to have those kind of um, interactions in like an interesting way. We don't want all the decisions in this game to feel like horrible, like life or death choices where you're going to want to save load your game if you answer wrong or something like that. <laughs> like that's, that's definitely not, um, the intent with it, but we hope uh, you could play the game in this f- kind of very expressive fashion where you always have options available to you that are like consistent with what you personally might want to do in that situation and then uh, have those be have those play out in a in a fashion that feels satisfying and kind of believable within this world yeah I, I go ahead uh, one second I, I do remember one thing that I wanted to add to that really quickly was. Is not knowing that uh, prior uh, until after we had our conversation about that kind of gameplay mechanic, me thinking about what she said afterward made me want to foster that relationship more. Yeah. It, it made me want to think about how I was going to talk to her if I had another chance to talk to, about, talk to her later. And then after that, I was like, oh, that's going to be a thing that when I do finally get this game that I'm definitely going to be paying attention to, to kind of make sure that I'm kind of making sure that I'm being who I want that character to kind of play, play out during the duration of my gameplay time. So, so that's, that's an awesome thing that I was just like, Oh, that's really cool to kind of tie those things together. Go ahead, Reef. I'm sorry. So I'm really excited by the description of this game because I feel like I know much more about it than all the footage and stuff that I saw. It makes me think of two things, and I'm really curious as to if these things had any um, inspiration or influence on the game. One 
is this is like one of the most awesome, it sounds like one of the most awesome version of Super Dodgeball for the Nintendo <laughs> that I ever heard of. Because I don't know if other yeah. people kind of did this, but I would create stories about the characters yeah. in the game. Uh, because obviously, like you, you had the evil Russians and the US yeah, and like yeah. all these stores. So like they had names like Alex and Boris and yeah, all this exactly. stuff. So like <laughs> I would always wonder, like, hey, like, hey, like I wonder if these guys, if they get along and all that stuff. So it makes right. me think think about that. The second thing it makes me think about is honestly, like, like these visual novels and these kind of like dating sims yep. where you're yep. building up like relationships what they people there's like a morale thing you can lose people you can get closer and while it might not be a sport like they're usually like there usually are events in these games where it sort of depends on your current like relationship and status with like with with like a number of uh, uh, of people so were either one of those like sort of like the super dodgeball games or the or or the dating sims or like the visual novels were any of those kind of floating around the minds of like the team during the development of this game? I'm just curious. Yeah. So like the, the thing about um, the thing when it comes to influences at, at super giant is like, we, we don't even, we, I think we have, we've hardly even tried to have like shared influences on things. Um, everyone's, everyone on the team kind of brings their own personal influences to bear. And we don't like set out on a project and, have everyone like watch a certain movie or read, okay. a, read a certain book or, or play certain games. We've we've tried that and it's been like not not super valuable because it mostly only affects the craft of like one or two specific people, um, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. like the the uh, we we have three artists on the team. They do share a set of influences typically, but it's like what what their influences are don't necessarily affect our programmers or something like that okay so with that long caveat out of the way <laughs> i love i personally love me some super dodgeball yes okay i played yes. a lot of super dodgeball um i played the arcade game as well as the nes game a lot um i played the neo geo game um, oh, that's right yeah. th there have been many yeah there's like a game boy advantage so i played uh Super Dodgeball in many incarnations. Um, so um, that game runs deep for me, for sure. The stuff you said about, like, the, the evil... I, I happen to be a Russian. as I was born in <laughs> Moscow. So seeing, like, um, growing up in the 80s uh, and having, like, games with evil Russians in them was, like, pretty interesting in general. Um, and it, it wasn't just games, right? It was the media. Yeah, it was of, the like, media whatever, Rocky, uh, Rocky yeah. 4 and oh, any man, Rambo, yes, right. Rambo yeah. movies and... Um, Every action that, movie, basically. Yeah, in, in the, and then, and then it, like, and flipped ages. at some point. Then you get, like, Red Heat. You know, the Russians are the good guys now. Or right, right, so right. That, that was... Um, um, so, I yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, that that era of... I, I, I've always really enjoyed these kind of action sports games that were, like... They're, like, action games with a sports-like yeah. vibe. But, uh, it, like, more than I've been into, you know, real life, like, actual sports sims or any or any of that stuff and then as for yeah and as for visual no novels likewise i mean i have played and enjoyed many of them and really appreciate the the kind of focused way in which they can develop characters and stories and how using using the written word um this kind of very straightforward storytelling this like <laughs> kind of the most tr traditional right. storytelling technique i suppose apart from just like telling stories around a campfire um 
they can really accomplish a lot. And that was something that we, uh, that for sure, as, as the person who does the writing on our games, I was very interested in, in trying to, trying to do stuff with the written word in Pyre, uh, because our previous games have been much more narration voiceover heavy, and that's really good for certain things, um, but not, but not necessarily all things. And, and if nothing else, I was just really interested in trying to do something different, um, and uh, yeah, in this particular case, you know, we, w with, with voiceover in our games, we try to make the voiceover feel kind of very interactive and, and meaningful uh, in various ways. And here, likewise, it's like, can we do that with text? And one of our, mm. one of our tricks there is, is just um, making the, uh, like, a, like I said, kind of the act of reading feel powerful and, and really meaningful in the world of this game. So you, you yourself as a player, hopefully become aware of, the the act of reading in a way that uh hopefully feels interesting whereas and usually you just kind of read it's second nature uh to most of us to be able to do that so we thought like would it would it be interesting to have a game where where that mere ability was was something special and and helped uh, define your own presence as a player in this world so yeah, yeah um super dodgeball and visual novels you're <laughs> on to Sweet. Basically, all of my, all of my tricks. I can't speak for my colleagues, but <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm in your, you your mind, Greg. I'm in your brain. Yeah. Have, so we see that you kind of dipped your toe recently back into the journalism water by writing that awesome Doom piece that you did in PC Gamer. Do you miss any of the the kind of stuff about the old days of game journalism? Do you miss any of that stuff? Um. Yeah, I, I do from time to time. Yeah, I think I've like gotten far enough away from it now <laughs> to where I can have <laughs> I can have some nostalgia for it. Yeah. Um I, I and particularly when um you know, one of the I uh, in my GameSpot days, most of the most of the like uh outward facing work I did was like game reviews. I was like bas basically a game critic. Um yeah, yeah. and uh having being able to play a game, you know, before most people could have access to it and just try to break it down and understand what worked about it, what didn't work about it. That was just, that was something I, I, I just love to do. Um, that was, despite how much of that I did, it was, uh, ultimately only a small part of my job. Um, mm -hmm. but that part I certainly, uh, do miss sometimes, but I think it's like, I think once you're making games, it's not it's not that I'm no longer like able to review games it's just that you can't there like the the appearance of impropriety I think <laughs> in like a game developer reviewing a game I think could be quite high you you just can't it, for me personally it's like you just can't shake the feeling that like does this person have a like w what's the motive why would you be reviewing this right. game if you're a game developer I right. I hate I hate having to think that um, about somebody's work and that's kind of like one of the main reasons I just felt like I had to stop doing it but it's nice to be able to say nice things about games that are just awesome in the case of uh, this Doom game <laughs> that, uh <-huh>. <laughs> that came up yeah PC Gamer uh, those guys in invited me to share some thoughts about it which which I really which I really enjoyed doing I mean I love I love writing for games and writing about games and hope I could just keep doing that in one form or another for like pretty much forever I guess it's been a little bit different too, you know, going going dipping back into those waters, especially after 
you know, most of the game critics that we've had on the show or game reviewers that we've had on the show, we've had the conversation about kind of the angry mob being, being out there and, and kind of wearing folks down with the three, with the two games that you've already put put out, it's been kind of universally a love fest for, for, for both of those games. I wonder if that's been a little bit weird too, to kind of see, to be on both sides of it and then kind of see the other, the other angle of the, the kind of, praise train maybe which is great because they deserve it they're really good games has that that been a little bit weird too well i mean i've i've worked on i've i've definitely worked on games that people haven't loved that much either (laughs) because prior to working at and 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 even with the games we have worked on at at super giant um i i wouldn't say you'd be surprised or whatever because you probably wouldn't be that surprised uh but um i'm i'm really glad that the prevailing attitude seems to be that these games are, you know, held in high regard, but mm-hmm. for sure there are people who don't like them out there, and we hear from those folks uh, for <laughs> one reason or another. I think partly we're we're fortunate that our studio is relatively small, so like mm. the scale of our success, while great for a studio of a dozen people, is like, you know, it's a fraction of. Right. We we don't have like um. It, it it's. Bastion actually does have um, millions of people who have played it, um, but but on day one, it's not like five million people are all picking yeah. the game up and screaming their heads off at our like botched multiplayer launch or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so so I think we've managed to avoid um, a lot of the the kind of hate that can happen. Um, thankfully, um, since our games are just they're just inherently kind of not for everyone in the first place and they've managed to find their audience. Um, but having worked uh, on at bigger studios like Electronic Arts, uh, uh, whose games have have been targeted at much kind of wider audiences, um, and and I and even in honestly like the GameSpot days more so, um, I think I think the ability for hate to spread on the internet has significantly increased and improved in recent years thanks to things like twitter uh mm-hmm. twitter didn't exist in in back when i was at GameSpot, but um talk to a guy who's been doing this stuff for you know ever since i there are these guys like jeff gerstman or whatever who, right. who, who are still at it right who right, are right. My, my my contemporaries but are still doing it and i'm sure jeff would would tell you that like getting getting hate from your readers or from your audiences like nothing nothing new really and and basically is as old as as any yeah. as just like reviewing games in the first place so um yeah. we're yeah i that's not to say i you know again yeah i um i i i shouldn't compare my experience i i'm my, my experience is like nothing compared to that of people who've gotten it real oh, right, bad obviously sure. but but i i i've seen i've seen it uh affect uh, me and those around me and been in situations where we had to do something about it. And um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. It's just a scary, it's a scary force out there. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure what else to say other than just to one, one has to be aware that it exists and to try to do something worthwhile kind of in spite of it and not let it be, uh, not let it be, turn into a reason to not do things that are worthwhile or productive um, out mm. of out of fear. You know, fear fear is like a terrible reason to not do things uh, yeah. unless it's like things that would 
get you killed or something. Fear is like a real, <laughs> right. yeah. it's like a real uh, functional human instinct that tells you don't stick your hand into like a burning flame or whatever. It's like, yeah. <laughs> well, there's that part of fear that's good, uh, but the part that makes you not want to, you know, make games or not want to write articles or whatever, that part is really unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's the unfortunate thing is some people have feared for their life. Yeah. You know, you get it's, doxxed or all kind of stuff that people have done. You know, it's 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 been really unfortunate. Um, yeah. So, so like you talked a little bit about, you know, how like every game that you have that you have worked on and, you know, in history hasn't necessarily been the bastion level of success or the transistor. I want to talk a, a little bit about one, one little game called Spec Ops The Line. Yeah. So um, I remember first playing this game at PAX um, and getting it and i remember it getting very mixed reviews um mm-hmm. i like the fact that it you know it really challenged a lot of the conventions of i guess what was a shooter at the time um but i always wondered how like it seems like that you know there was a lot put into this game in terms of like you know um what war is and and then like you know like kind of like being in like a place like a Dubai, you know, which I guess isn't sort of like the typical space that you saw a lot of the, a lot of these uh, games in, how was sort of like, you know, like a, your reaction and like maybe their reaction of like the rest of your team to sort of like the, I would say mixed reception that, 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 that game came out. So, so I, I did work on that game. I worked on that game for, uh, for a year. Um, and, it was a game that spent uh, a lot longer than that in development, and it was in it was in development before I arrived, and it was in development after I left. Okay. Um, it was it was like I, I think fair to say like a challenging project. Um, I the developer is called Jaeger. They're uh, they're working these days on a game called Dreadnought. They're based yep. in Berlin, so I would two uh, uh, K is in uh, around here in Northern California, so I would uh, occasionally fly out uh, for uh, sometimes mm-hmm. for for weeks at a time and work with these guys in Berlin on, on this game. So the ambition of it um, was always around this narrative component. Um, yeah. And it was a, it was always like an, an ambitious game in this regard and what it was trying to do. And the fact that it was being made uh, at that kind of AAA development scale, despite having this um, j- just like a not, not like a straight ahead, theme right right? it wasn't it wasn't your like hoorah military shooter (laughs) it was like the the (laughs) antithesis it was like the antithesis of that so i remember i i got the game as soon as it came out once it was finally done um and i and i played through it and uh, some aspects of it were very similar to what i expected and other aspects like like the the details of the ending were not um (laughs) what i were not what i knew them to be when i was working on it but it was so I thought what it turned out to be was so, so true to what it was always going for from my perspective that I, I felt very, I felt very kind of proud, uh, very proud of the team for pulling it together uh, as they did. And the, and the mixed reviews, um, the, they made me sad, but I understood them, I mm. guess. It's like, well, you know, this, this was always something that was at risk of people kind of not, yeah, not all you know being hot and cold about it like it wasn't it wasn't going to be necessarily for for everybody uh but the part that was really really satisfying to me was that it, it, like it's evidenced by this conversation right now that that mm. people still think about the game they still remember it and mm. it's kind of this 
it still comes up, you know, on Reddit and these kind of various forums. Uh, it, I, I think it's like fair to say it's kind of this cult classic. Um, and that I think is really awesome that through all the effort that went into that game, it has this really enduring quality and, and the, and the aspect that, that really was the most important to the project, this like narrative, um, um, it really uh, ultimately shined through. So yeah, I think, I think I, I love, uh, I, I love how it turned out in short. I'm glad I, uh, y you know, I was a kind of a tiny piece of that project, but I'm glad I got to work on it in some capacity. Um, cause any, any game that, uh, has any kind of ambition around its narrative component, I think is like, uh, inherently doing so attempting something worthwhile. Right. Um, cause games have so much potential as, as, uh, interactive stories. Are there any other games that have come out? You said you've been in the industry now on that side of the fence for, for 10 years. Are there any other games that you can think of that, that, that come across your mind that you would like, damn, I wish I, I wish I had a chance to kind of work on that. And, oh man. And cause they, cause they had those kinds of feelings to it. Yeah. I mean, there, there's like, <laughs> there's a lot, I'm sure there, there's like, um, I get super, uh, the, the 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 games that i think blow me away the most sometimes are ones that are made by like very like even smaller teams than ours um the one that is coming to mind right off the bat is uh papers please yes. which came oh, out a few, yeah, yeah. came out a few years ago it's made by a guy named uh lucas pope uh, top to bottom who i think is an ex uh, naughty dog uh, guy so oh, it's interesting that he yeah he went from working on like uncharted and whatever to to making papers please and Papers, Please, I thought was just incredible as like a synthesis of it's just like an example of what games can be. Yes. Um, the, the, the way it plays is totally unique. Sometimes people debate, you know, is this a game? Is this not? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. The, no one, no one had that debate over Papers, Please, right? Like everybody right. agreed that this is a game. You for sure like are very active in terms of the yeah. mechanics. This isn't just like a vehicle for storytelling and yet the storytelling in it was so strong and the the way it created empathy yeah. really for for um for the type of uh for the type of job that I think most of us just kind of like have a pretty antagonistic relationship toward like the guy you know even if even if you've flown to Canada or something like that you're just trying to <laughs> get through immigration you're like oh man you just you can't stand the guy in customs stamping your pa your passport. You just want to get over, you just want right. to get through that as fast as possible. And it's a game that made you really care about what that type of person is going through and the kind of really difficult decisions that that person might need to make. Um, I thought that game was just incredible. Um, yeah, but there, you know, I I also thought like Uncharted Four and and the new Doom game were totally incredible also, and those are like your full scale, you know, triple A productions um i i kind of get the, one of the funny things about um working in game development now is like yeah there's a there's a part of me that when i play certain types of games like i i love them dearly and i'm also like oh man that is <laughs> I get, there's that zero to five percent of me that's like incredibly jealous about them also it's just like man this is so good but um it's <laughs> i i think i think it's kind of a it's a great it's it's great to see different games succeed at different levels and i i'm i'm glad i still enjoy kind of games of all shapes and sizes and that that these days 
there are so many different games out there. It can be hard to like find the ones that are right for you, but but there's there's just so much there's yeah. so much interesting stuff happening all the time. I think. Yeah. So uh, speaking of games, I saw on your uh, team profile on the Supergiant page that Street Fighter Two, one, yeah. one of your favorite uh, games. Oh, yeah. uh, so I was wondering, you know, who's who's your who's your favorite character out of like the original? Like the original Dude, eight and yeah, so so Street Fighter two like more or less defined fighting games as a whole and Street Fighter two in particular define like many years of 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 my life. Right. Like I'm I'm one of those people. Yeah. Anyway, I could go off about that. <laughs> I I um putting those I, quarters I, up. I played I played everybody. Yeah, I played so much Street Fighter two that I played everybody in Street Fighter two. But if I had to pick just one, I'd I'd, I'd go with Ryu. I guess okay. I was yeah. I was probably like if I if I wanted to play to win, which I wasn't really my chief concern with how much I played it. Um, Ryu was my guy. Okay. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I I started out as a Blanca player. Yeah. Until I found me, out. Me too. And yeah. Until I found out that when you got hit in the cannonball, you lost like you took more like, damage, like, yeah, like, like double which, damage. Which they later they later took that out. I think starting yes. with uh, Champion yes. Edition or yep. whatever. Yes, yeah. they absolutely did. But in that first game, I was I was like, I'm all about Blanc. And then yeah. I was like, Nope, Dragon Punch. That, that <laughs> you cannonball. eat that Dragon Punch, but man, <laughs> those were those were incredible moments, right? When he just when you just get tagged, right as you're about to hit him. Yeah, I mean that game. That game to me is still. I mean, they're they're. So yeah, I've been playing Street Fighter Five this year. Um, also, it's, Street Fighter still does it for me. Okay. But mm-hmm. uh, after all this time, um, but uh, it's just as like, it it it's made me think of how it, games can do this whole range of stuff, right? On the one hand, they can be really mechanically rich and complex, like the stuff that they make you do with your hands. In or it's almost like mm-hmm. playing yeah. a musical instrument or something like that. Like yep. you're just doing something really like incredibly physical and interactive when you play uh, a game like Street Fighter 2 and for me Street Fighter was like the pinnacle of that aspect of what games can be of like oh my god I I'm just like mastering these motions and techniques that I didn't even knew know I had in me and I feel like right. the like I could get infinitely better at this game the yep. more I play or um it's just like interesting forever I could play it forever um and then on the other hand there are these you know, incredibly engrossing uh, role-playing games that I was playing that were doing amazing stuff with storytelling and with with their kind of world building and so on. And those made me, you know, th- those kind of set my imagination off in a in a different way. And so for me, it was always like those those were two sides of a coin for me. I just loved games in both of those capacities. And once in a while, there there's a game that kind of s- straddles the line. Uh, they're, um, but, but usually they kind of focus on one area or the other since it's so hard to do either aspect, um, well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wound up being, I wound up being a street fighter player in the beginnings and then moved to mortal Kombat. Yeah. I, oh, I will never forget when my bodega got the, the hacked version of street oh, fighter man, two I remember that. where you With- could do the spinning pile driver and it would just continuously go up and down the screen. <laughs> Dude, I played all those, and yeah, and like Guile could just have like ten sonic booms on the screen yeah. and all uh-huh. that stuff. The the hacked like Hong Kong. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I played those. I played. Yeah, I moved on. I moved from Street Fighter to Mortal Kombat. Then got really, really. I loved uh, Mortal Kombat one and two in particular. Mm-hmm. MK two was like one of my favorite fighting games for a long time. And then uh, I got really, really into 
uh, the Neo Geo um, with with games like Samurai Showdown. Yeah. And those those beca- Samurai, Samurai Showdown, Showdown. is yeah. Samurai Showdown and Samurai Showdown Two are like a couple of my. They're just like my two of my all time favorite games. Full yeah. stop. Cool. Just I just I randomly still yeah. scream Hop Daddy Anso. Yeah, and he was just you have to, and like yeah, randomly yeah, yeah. it's still Dude. in my body. Like that thing is like I... always with me. Yeah, thank I... you for saying that and make <laughs> me feel like less of a freak because my my brain <laughs> there's like a every hour there's like a thirty percent chance that yeah just like fighting game yeah. Fighting game quotes just like play in my brain pretty much all the time. <laughs> Me too. It's so weird, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, we, are, we are not alone. <laughs> yeah, I really think those games kind of like were solely responsible for extending arcades for oh like, yeah, a oh, few yeah. more years because oh, for sure. I mean, I mean, I was I was in Jersey and it was just ridiculous. Like, like there were all those bootleg ones in the bodegas and like all the arcades had almost replaced most of their systems with like you know world heroes yeah yeah and, yeah. and like uh time fi- like like just all these street fighter clones you know and and i specifically remember samurai showdown because i remember the first time i saw it and i, I remember just being amazed at i think most of the neo geo games did this as well like they would zoom in and out yeah 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 oh yeah and that to me i was like how are they doing that this is incredible yeah. <laughs> you know i would just sit there and watch it just zoom in and out it's pretty dope yeah, it was it was a good time. I wish that there was I wish that there was a resurgence though in kind of that arcade feel. And it feels like that stuff is so far gone now that it it may never get back to it. Yeah. You know, like we get to we get the chance to kind of relive some of that through Evo and through yeah. other, you know, fighting game competitions that we see and stuff like that. But that that standing next to somebody else at at the the yeah. local arcade and, and going at it was something that most young people now just don't get to the chance to feel that now. I just said young people. Oh my <laughs> God. Youngins. Those youngins. Oh uh, man, I'm old. <laughs> no, I mean it taught you for sure it was like a good uh it was a good like primer on internet etiquette because and yeah. I, I would often yeah this makes me feel old also but it's like um you know i i in uh the the places i'd go to play arcade games in san francisco like not all of them were were that great and a lot of the kids i'd play against mm-hmm. could beat the crap out of me <laughs> <Right>. pretty easily <laughs> um and sometimes threatened to do that so it's like um you had to you had to just like be respectful of, yeah. of the person that you're playing. Um, and um, on, on the internet, there's no such, uh, I mean, some games are better about having like tools to, I guess, limit certain types of interactions. But uh, in general, it's that thing where, you know, your anonymity on the internet is this giant shield to allow you to be just horrible. Whereas <laughs> when you're like physically next to someone, it's, I think most of us are much less inclined uh, to just be just to be that horrible to one another's faces. In part because you realize it's like a not not only because we ourselves are not that way, but like when you see that you're talking to like an actual human, you're like less inclined <laughs> to be a total jerk, you know. Um, so yeah, I miss that aspect of arcades. Um, oh my god! Because there, there's a whole for me there was like a whole like meta game of like if I'm playing someone in Street Fighter or Samurai Showdown or whatever, and I'm, like, way better than the guy, but he's going to kick my ass. I'm going to make it close. Um, right, right, and I'm not right, gonna, right. I'm not going to, like, give him a round. 
like really blatantly because that might be offensive of like dude you're just letting me win yeah. i'm gonna like <laughs> match my skill level to his and and make it a good close game um and that that was like a really cool aspect of the arcade experience for me some people i knew like always played to win or whatever but i was it, like yeah i like to just i like to play to have a good match if yeah that makes any sense. no that totally yeah. makes so much sense i yeah i totally get that feeling yeah yeah, it was an absolute mental game. That's one thing I love yeah. about playing those games in the arcade was, you know, and like you still see that at like Evo, you know, like a lot of it is like you slip up just a little bit and you get caught in yeah. that combo is over, you know. So And it's so, so like momentum. Yeah, it's so like momentum based where, yeah, one guy, I mean, you'll hear the commentators talk about this, that one player will get in the other player's head and then their whole timing is thrown off and they just can't block anything anymore and they just get crushed. Yeah, I, I still love I love playing that stuff. I love watching that stuff. I suppose I always will. I'm glad I'm glad games like that still get made and I'm 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 waiting for the day when I'm sure the day will happen when uh you know, you have these massive games like League of Legends and Dota and stuff like that. I think all that fighting games are missing really is that kind of level of online infrastructure mm-hmm. that that like the um if it if one of them that was just a little bit more approachable and had that awesome like online network service aspect that has been refined over so many years for like league and dota i think Mm. it would take off like crazy um it's just hard to do (laughs) um in short and uh and yeah fighting games are kind of weird like that like they're really good for someone like me who's been playing them you know since the early 90s but yeah yeah um if you're just if you if you take an interest in Street Fighter today, it's like good luck trying to learn that thing. Man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so it's different hard. Now. Uh, granted, I mean it's really hard to learn like League and Dota also, um, and and I think I think the depth of it's way more important to for these games to like have depth than than just to be accessible because if the game is like interesting enough, people will learn it. Obviously, Dota is the perfect example of that. That game is like insanely complicated, but yes. one of the most popular games in the world. So yeah. um, I, I kind of love that, actually, that like uh, game players don't get enough credit, right? Like people think they're like, oh, d- I don't know. That that trend is kind of over, actually. The idea that you have to like dumb things down to appeal right. to more more people. I think I think some of these games have demonstrated that like it's just fine to have a complex game as long as it's like interesting. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're about to get out of here, and I want to bring it back to Pyre before yeah. we go. Um, if there was some, if you wanted to give someone a kind of overview of what they should expect once they get Pyre, I know you're still super early on, yeah. But you have a great, a great skeleton and a great foundation already going. What do you want to tell folks about the game that'll get them super interested and hopefully make them want to pick it up when it does drop out? Yeah, I think I think the um. I think the 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 best uh assurance I can make about it is that is is kind of with respect to our previous games. So if if for for folks who have enjoyed one or two of our previous games, um even though Pyre is a very different kind of game, the 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 kind of values that are behind it are very uh, similar. So the things that we value uh are attention to detail in the presentation and in the and in the storytelling, those things are all just ingrained in who we are as a team. And everyone who worked on Bastion worked together on Transistor and is working together once again on Pyre. So oh, cool. our whole goal as a studio 
is to keep that same team together, making new and interesting stuff for as long as we can. Um, so I think um, it, it'll it be yet another hopefully interesting expression of our values as a team, and um, hopefully that uh, will, will be appealing, yeah, to anyone who has enjoyed it. But yeah, just in its own right, um, I think it'll be uh, an interesting and different take on on things that are, uh, I th- uh, you, you know, in some ways familiar, but haven't been kind of combined in quite this way before. Uh, the idea of having a, um, like a party-based role-playing game with these kind of competitive uh, combat, uh, combat resolution, as it were. That that mm. alone, I think, uh, will will be compelling, but hopefully the the secret sauce that we have at Supergiant will uh will still will still be good uh when this one is all done. But like you said, we've got a ways to go still and we just uh, always appreciate hearing from folks about how we're doing and their their words of critique or words of encouragement or whatever the case may be. Awesome. Awesome. Um so I mean Greg thank you so much for yeah, coming my pleasure. out. Yes, Man you. anytime you again I every time I see you I kind of shower you with shower you with praise cuz I love all the stuff that you've done over the years and and Supergiant makes some of the best games and some of my favorite games of this generation. Um anytime you want to come and hang out and nerd out with us we are totally down. Yeah right on. Uh, thank you. Abs- absolutely love it. And also you can kick my ass in Street Fighter if you're on PS4. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> if folks want to be able to uh find out more about Giant um, not Super, Super Giant Bomb, I was about to say Giant yeah. Bomb, jeez. About Super Giant and uh Pyre, uh let folks know where they can uh, and you as well, let them know where they can find more info. Yeah, we're just uh Super Giant Games, uh both on Twitter and and uh on, on the World Wide Web. And I, <laughs> I myself uh am just my last name, Kasavin, on Twitter. Uh easy to get a hold of. I um and yeah, it's always good to always good to ch- uh, chat with folks and drop uh drop old fighting game war stories or what have you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Bricago, we are about to get up out of here. You can always check us out on ESN.FM. You can check us out on iTunes, NPR One. You can always check me out at Kajakins. You can check Stubby Stan at Stubby Stan on Twitter. You can check out Sharif Jackson at Sharif Jackson on the Twitters. And we will see you guys next week with some more dopeness from the Spoiler Me podcast. We're going to get up out of here. We say peace. Peace.